I'm not trying to be anybody else. And because it's not fun to try to fit into something else. You can you can aspire to something if it's a positive. Oh, I like that. And, you know, maybe that will make me feel better if I get in better shape or if I'm more active or something. That's positive. But if you doing things just to to be like other people, I think that's dangerous. Welcome home, Colombia. Beautiful, beautiful. Bienvenidos to a new chapter of Now Serving Love. We dedicate this time to talk to individuals who have chosen to use their talents and their voice to uplift the collective consciousness. We are extremely blessed to be with you today. Things are slowly shifting in this new world as the normal will never be the normal again. Today's guest also happened to be our neighbor. We've been living in his uh, property here in Venice, California for nearly eight years. So that also made it possible for us to sit down and create this episode. Andrea Boccaletti. At some point in the 90s, he was at the top of his craft, the most sought-after male model in the world in an industry that usually has been in some ways connected to shallowness and self-centeredness and overall superficiality. It was wonderful to sit down with Andrea and hear from his experience, his perspective, what really goes behind the scenes. Also, to hear that level of humanity and connection from someone that, again, once was at the top of the modeling world. It is powerful, really powerful to hear from someone like Andrea, especially in a society that is so driven by vanity and by looks, to hear that someone who on the surface supposedly has all that many dream of and probably many are jealous of, to realize that Indeed, looks are deceiving. It doesn't matter how good-looking or pretty you are on the outside. If you don't do the inner work, there is no possibility, real possibility, to have a sustainable connection with real peace and real happiness. I'm super honored and grateful for this conversation that we had with Andrea and I'm very happy to share it with you. And we are back. 
And what a pleasure to kickstart again the interview format with um, such an incredible, kind, generous, um, really special human being, Andrea Boccaletti. How are you thank today? Thank you. Um, very well, thank you. And thank you for those kind words. I hope that I'm that great, compassionate person. I strive to get better every day and, and we all have our different ways. So how has it been for you during these times of quarantine? It's been a really interesting time. Of course, there's a shock with being told that you have to stay home and not do the things that we're, nor we're used to doing on a normal basis. But it was a really beautiful opportunity to reconnect with myself and kind of get to those little projects that you always think of doing, but you never do, and you just kind of push off and off. Restart the vegetable garden in the back, that which I hadn't had for two years or three years. Kind of slow down a lot. It's really so beautiful to get on the bicycle and just uh, seeing the colors pop in nature and the air to be so clean, to hear the birds singing and... Powerful, powerful times. Yes. So there's a, there's a beautiful story um, here for those of you who listen in. Um, when I was in high school, uh, all the cool guys, we have these sort of like uh, books like diaries they gave us in school. And what you do is like you usually go through the magazines and you kind of like you cut down like, uh, you know, pictures that were cool and stuff like that. I remember I, uh, I was quite often I would see this this cool pictures, uh, different advertising Gucci and Guess and all that and so I will cut and then I'll paste them in, in my book and I kind of like that was symbolic of something really cool and the funny story is that when I in the beginning when I first met you one day you uh, were talking about your career modeling this and that and then you show me your book so I started flipping through the pages and I was like no way that's you <laughs> so the guy that, um, you know, one of the guys, one of the things that I, when I used to cut things and paste them, um, you were actually one of them. And wow. It's pretty wild how the universe works in mysterious ways in a sense. So you were at some point top, like one of the top models, male models in the world. I'm hesitant to say that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think at one point I was... The guy doing the most campaigns for, for a year, two years in the business and, and one of the top five male models in the world for, for the three, four year period that I did it. That's super awesome that you and your life had the experience to be uh, one of the top five or even through some times you were uh, one of the, like, uh, the models, male models that worked the most. Yeah. Uh, and so let's, let's take it from... How that started? So I really didn't hear anything about the fashion business at all or even modeling until I was maybe 14 that some friends of some mothers of friends or some um, other people would always say, oh, you know, you should model or, you know, things that I didn't really pay attention to. They just kind of went in one ear and went out the other. Uh, I was just too much of an active kid and I loved to be outside and surfing and boogie boarding and just uh, sports and loved the outdoors. 
So it wasn't until I was away at college and it was the the Christmas vacation before my senior year, so before graduating university, that there was this one woman of who was the mother of some girls that I knew, and she really kind of convinced me or to just try it. So I said, okay, okay, for you, I'll, I'll go and see an agency. And, and we were living, I grew up in Palm Beach, so there was a market only an hour away, an hour and a half away, which was Miami. So my mother knew somebody that uh, was still modeling in his 30s or you know, early 40s. He set up an appointment for me with a modeling agency down there in Miami. So I drove down one day and the agency saw me and sent me out on location right away to, to take three rolls of film with this photographer who was, who was on location. Do you do you remember how the drive, or were you nervous? What you think? No, I don't. Or? I don't remember the drive at all. Actually, I just vaguely remember where the photographer was taking the pictures. Where we did a couple of those. I remember that he was at a location where some of the scenes for the TV show Flipper, Flipper the Dolphin, was yeah. was filmed. Uh, which is not a pretty story because actually one of the trainers of Flipper, Rico Berry, started, um, well, he did that film, The Cove, the documentary, because he felt very sad about dolphins and captivity. So anyway, that's another story. But um, I just remember that it was there and it was just, I thought it was fun. I mean, this, this photographer was a nice guy. Uh, his name was Al David. Took these roles and... Um, I didn't see the results or any of the photos until I don't remember exactly when I saw them. But anyway, I remember going back to school and the agency because, you know, it's important to be photogenic. I mean, you can look a certain way, but you have to be photogenic to, to, be in, to get in that business. And they just called me, you know, every week, uh, really. And I didn't know what to say to them. I said, you know, I said, well, first I said, I'm, I'm away at university. I'm in Virginia and I don't know. I don't know. And then finally, as we got closer to, I was studying for my exams and they called again and, and I said, okay, look, you know, I have a big fork in the road here. Either I go into business for, which is what I studied for, for four years and, and have a career as a, an investment banker or something, and, or I try this modeling thing. And I said, what do you guys think? Do you think I can be successful? Do you think? And they said, well, we can't guarantee anything, but we think you're going to do really well. So, so in the beginning, like the first experience, it was joyful. You liked the whole... Yeah, I liked the idea of it, I guess. Uh, and it wasn't until that one day I was sitting outside the house on, on our porch at our university house uh, with my roommates and you know, there was a keg of beer and you, know, you do the drinking like you do in college. Someone had gotten a hold of a men's fashion magazine because I never had them or bought them or anything. And I was flipping through the pages and I was, I, I'm always a person that if I can improve something, I'm all excited and I, I will do it. I just love quality and I love, I like to help things that are hurt feel better. I like to save things. You know, so it was this thing I just saw in the magazine and I saw some guys and I'm like, hmm. Without judging too much, I said, wow, if this guy can do it, I 
I can do this, you know. And so that got my interest up in it. And then I kind of finally just decided, I said, you know, I, I don't want to be 30 one day and look back at my life and just have this big question mark whether or not I could have done it. I want to try it. So um, that final decision was was your decision when you asked them, oh, yeah. you, you think I can do it? And they said, yeah. oh, you, you think you can do pretty well. Was ultimately you decide, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I don't want to look back and regret yeah, it. I didn't do definitely. it. Definitely. And, and anyway, when I, when I was finishing after graduation, I was going to go back home to Palm Beach. So I just took up an apartment in Miami, started there. How, so how was the beginning of this this journey as a model in um, Miami Beach? How was the, the climate at the time? What was it like to to be in that sort of world? Well, it was it was fun because first of all, I didn't have to open the books anymore and study anything. So it just felt you know I, my first few appointments uh, down in my in Miami Beach and South Beach, I had driven down. I would drive back and forth an hour from Palm Beach. It actually usually takes an hour and a half, but I, I like driving so fast that it would take an hour. And then finally, I decided to take a little apartment down there, and I paid two hundred fifty dollars a month. You know, I split it with some other guy that I met, and so we were roommates. And um, I remember I didn't know much about the business, but this roommate, this this guy, his name was Sean. He was really affected by the business. He, he was he knew he knew who the the big models were already, and already at that time, Marcus Schenkenberg. Who you know was was he knew who he was and he he had his composite his card was 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 this guy another like famous model of the yeah, time yeah okay. he was definitely I and mean, he was the body guy he was he was the one in the uh, Calvin Klein ads where he's not he's not wearing clothes or he's got something or a sock over himself or mm-hmm. with Carrie Otis and also with Stephanie Seymour I think in the Calvin Klein ads and uh, yeah he was a he was. And he just had a lot of editorials, you know, things in magazines. I mean, he had already was working in Europe and and was repped by an agency in Miami. So that's how this kid had the card. So, uh, so he was also a model. Yeah, yeah, this guy was a model. So that kind of, I looked at these cards. I mean, I, I could see anybody's card in the agency, but the fact that this roommate had him had this card there, I was like, wow, this is cool. You know, like this guy's this guy's really made it, but. I didn't think like, oh, I want to get there or can I get there? I had no idea. I just took the the ride. After a few months down there in Miami, there was an agency that came from Paris and went to all the agencies looking for guys to represent in Paris and only wanted two guys out of all of Miami. And so, at, the, at this point, you, you've done some work with this Miami agency? Well, wow, some, some little jobs, yeah, paid by the hour. The first job I ever did actually was was unofficial, not through an agency at all. It was this woman that stopped me and she said she had this jeans company called South Beach Jeans. You know, this woman with, you know, big lips and long hair and, you know, trying to really squeeze out beauty from herself. And it was very funny. But so I did this little job wearing these jeans. Actually, I wasn't even wearing jeans at all in the picture. I think she was. So she wanted to be in the ad with me. So she was wearing the jeans, and you were. She was wearing the jeans. You were in the sock, like a guy in Calvin. I was was wearing some other type of pants, and I was on a Harley, (laughs) and it was at night, and it was in front of this club called Deuce or this bar called Deuce, and I was just recently in Miami, and it's still there. 
It's still got the same sign outside, so it was really nostalgic for me to see that. Miami's changed so much, but that, that was great. That was still the same, and it's a dive bar, but it's really cool. So anyway, she, they, she paid me $75, wrote me a $75 check, and it says South Beach Jeans, and I went to deposit it in the bank, and it bounced. <laughs> there wasn't even the money to clear to, to cover the check. <laughs> so really funny. So I always meant to frame that. And I have it somewhere, and I still have not framed it, but I, sh- I should do that. It's so before the, the, the Paris uh, agency came, were you struggling? You start to feel like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this? Or No, not know. really. I mean, because I, had a, I, I took a little job as a delivering bread for a, a bigger bakery, and I would deliver the bread to restaurants and accounts and stuff. And they liked it because I was very fast. I got everything there on time. <laughs> <laughs> so then Paris came and they chose two guys. You were one of them. Yeah, and I went and it was show week in Paris. So I'm thrown right into the, the major castings. I go through a week and a half of castings. I booked one show and it was called Daniel Esther. And uh, it wasn't a big show. but it's a show meaning this is like a runaway. Yeah, a, fi- a runway show, yeah. Nerve-wracking experience. I never took my... Walking the runway, I never took my eyes off my shoes, really. I was just like walking down and walking back. But so it wasn't, it's not like uh, everybody wanted me or anything, but the agency said, Look, you got some really good response. We want you to come back and live here. So basically, I went back to Miami, collected all my things, which was just like a suitcase or two suitcases, and, and moved to Paris. And um, that was a really tough, grueling time because. So many appointments, learning the city at the same time, staying in the cheapest places, staying in youth hostels, in uh, little cheap hotels, you know, sometimes changing every night or every two nights to a different place, you know, and, and just asking if they had vacancy. It was, it was really crazy. But, but the agency believed in me so much that they would give me advances of money so I could pay that and also pay to get some food and, you know. So this was, uh, Paris was kind of the beginning of the, the big picture that yeah. turned out to be. Yeah. And that agent, Patricia from, from Bananas Mambo, it was called the agency, um, she, was an, she really believed in me and became like my second mother. What will you say you learned most from her? I learned to be selective because she was really smart about once I started climbing up the ladder and and from the different jobs, doing jobs that had more visibility or that were more important, she didn't let me do kind of the the like low quality or, or the uh, cheesy stuff or, you know, she was building an image. We were building an image and that was important, I think. And So she was very explicit and she uh, really wanted to not go for the whatever you were offered, but she was very yeah. particular. She wanted the best. Yeah. And I think that that really translated to me quickly. And once I started getting up there and, and, you know, and, and did the gap campaign and that was the first major campaign I did. And wow, when you did gap, I mean, you were everywhere in the whole entire world. I mean, you're on the side of double-decker buses in London. You were on the side of a building and uh, I forget where someone said they saw it. Um, How was you know, that you for were you? All like over the, the world. first time you, you saw your face? Like mm. your... Oh, I ran, and, I ran and hid. I was in, in London um, 
on Oxford Street was in a shop and I came out and I saw it on the side of a bus <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, shit. You know, I was like, I felt, I got, I got nervous. My heart started beating really quickly and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, that's me. Like, you know, and, and I, I don't know, it just, it was, you I did. Like I self-conscious? Yeah, maybe a little like? self-conscious. I didn't, you know, start to strut and be like, oh, hey, you know, that's me over there. I, it kind of getting, having too much attention, it felt like, oh, wow, there's, there's attention on me now, maybe, you know, and, and made me a little nervous. <laughs> and, and so after that, like, people start to recognize you on the streets, things like that, that time? Yeah, or, a little, yeah, little by little, yeah. How was that for you? I don't remember too much about that, but what I do remember it was that it was really cool is that in Paris, uh, at the clubs, when there were long lines outside, I'd come up and the person, you know, everyone really knew about fashion and, and especially in Europe. And they would kind of see me and they'd point to me and just kind of have me come in who, with whoever I was with. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty nice, you know? <laughs> so, so VIP. Uh, yeah. So how do you say, uh, what would you say about the modeling world environment during that time versus currently times with all the social media and all that I make my own brand. Uh. There was more mystery to it. There was more creativity. There was, yeah, just the creativity the, 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 between the photographer and, and you, the model, and not of the social media today where it's, hey, look at me. I'm staging all these photos of myself and taking selfies or or really showing off it it was it was a job it was, really was a job do you feel like the the models at that time like uh, someone of your caliber they were they were respected they were uh, it was a big big difference like nowadays is anybody's a supermodel kind of thing well now they throw around the terms and you know everyone says that they're a model or everyone says they're a supermodel like people actually self-proclaim that they're a supermodel or you know they write it in the hashtag or in the post or there was none of that and, and actually in fashion magazines fashion magazines belonged to us to models you know there weren't the actors on the covers there weren't the athletes there weren't the musicians i mean musicians had their own magazines the acting trade had their own but the fashion magazines vogue uh men's vogue uh Bogoms, you know, all these international men, they were ours. They were, they were, you know, it was models. And I think that's, it was, you know, our job was to make these beautiful creations kind of come to life with the photographer on the shoot. And that was special. And now, now, I mean, I, I, I know some people that are doing it now and um, they're almost expected to self promote themselves all the time. And, I could not, I don't think I could do it today. I would not have the, the skin to, to do it today. I would not be able to self-promote like that. And, and um, yeah, it, would, it wouldn't be fun. But it, it was fun to arrive on set in a studio and, and just not know what's going to happen and kind of create something great. And you didn't even, you did a couple of Polaroids in the beginning, but then they shot the rolls of film, so you didn't even know what it was going to look like afterwards. I remember towards the end, kind of nice. I mean, they did when it got to digital and they were shooting the photos and it was one of the last campaigns I did, uh, Ferragamo, Salvatore Ferragamo in, in Capri with uh, Mario Testino. And he was actually walking and the assistant had the computer connected to the camera and they, and they 
So then it was more the branding, more the, the um, marketing people that, okay, we saw the image, we, we got it, done, now we can move on. It was quicker. So how, what was one of the most remarkable um, experiences you have in terms of quality that you work with a photographer and shoot? What was one of those like, you're like, wow, this is like incredible, like the level of, yeah. of perfection and quality? Well, it was, that would have to be the fall, winter, 1995, Giorgio Armani campaign with Peter Lindbergh and Mr. Armani there styling me for the shoot. So that was... What was so special about it? Pretty amazing. I mean, well, I mean, it's Armani and the fact that I loved it because it was so classical. The photos are, most of his campaigns are in black and white, or they were, and like a classical, almost cinematic quality to it, and and, um, very strong, very sensual. And I was the the girl that was on the as the one that was booked uh, as as for the women's side was Ines Rivero, I think was her name. She's Argentinian, but just really wow, brooding photos. Peter Lindbergh, fantastic photographer. Was he the best you work with? I don't know. That's that's hard to quantify, but I mean. As one of the best names in the business that jumps out to me is Richard Avedon. I shot with him twice and wow. And now it makes me kind of upset thinking that I had to cancel a shoot with Helmut Newton one time. And he is such an iconic name. And, um, but, you know, Peter Lindbergh, Mario Testino, Herb Ritz, Patrick Demarchelier. Okay, so through through um, this experience, I'm sure you have uh, an opportunity to travel to some incredible places, connect with so many people. What what is the biggest uh, learning experience from this traveling as a model throughout the world in those times? The traveling really shaped my worldview. I think I've always been a sort of a compassionate kid. Yes, I, I actually now I remember some instances from childhood, but. I think what traveling did was gave me this worldview of seeing conditions in many different countries because this the business brought me to probably 20 other countries that I never would have normally seen had I not been in the business because sometimes you know you're shooting a campaign or you're shooting some editorial or some some job and they 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 want to fly to some incredible remote place in a third world country or somewhere and wow just really seeing the changes from one country to another and the socio-economic situations and and nature and just appreciating the whole world for the different cultures and for the different um, crafts that people make and the, the little villages and the just so you feel I mean people have the tendency to believe sometimes, especially remember during during those those years, uh, people were like thinking that models were like kind of like superficial people that they're very selfish, all that yeah. self center, all that. So for you, it was it was always like there was this sort of human human side that you really felt connected to. Like when you say you went to third world countries, you 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 saw that sort of a 
difficulties, um, the the quality of life, mm. and you always was you you were touched by. I was. I mean, it was a very eye-opening experience for me. It was. It was. It was a beautiful experience. That's what it was for me. And always, after a job, after being somewhere like that, there was always the plane ride, the plane to wherever back, either back to Paris or onto another country or to another job. And that's where I would really reflect and really write. And I wrote in my journal. I kept a journal for four and a half years during that time, and really reflected on things and and feeling really gracious and 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 thankful that I was able to experience something like that or just kind of write my feelings about a place. But at the same time, I remember that it was a very lonely time too because, yes, there are some, there are definitely people in that business that are very superficial and very shallow, you know, shallow, super superficial and, you know, wearing only the goofy Gucci loafers and, and, and the most expensive clothes and don't really see those things. But on my downtime, if I had, if I only had two hours free time in some country, I spent those two hours going to the center of town. I wanted to see the people. I wanted to live like the people there. I didn't want to take a, I didn't want to be chauffeured around or anything like this. And um, so even though you were one of the top models, like top model, um, and you were in that world, it sounds like you were always very mindful. You were very much in touch with with the reality you were seeing, and so many ways you you felt disconnected from from this world. and And I'm sure it should have been uh, it was hard to navigate sometimes because yeah, it was. It made me very sad. Yeah, because I I think that after a while, I and mean, what what eventually led me to quit the business was that I didn't think that people were seeing me for me, for me what was inside me. They just saw me this exterior thing and and just would fuss over the exterior and and uh, so you um, never really put too much emphasis on your looks, but you were more into cultivating your yeah. I finally wanted to to you know use my brain and 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 be seen for who I was inside, not just as an object. And uh, you know, a lot of these kind of stylists and um, I mean, a lot of the designers were. They're great compassion. They loved the models, but some of the stylists for the magazines and things, they they kind of had these powerful ways of behaving and and feeling very special. Like and, power trips. Yeah, power trips. Right. So. so what would you say to, because especially in the West, where we live in a society that is all about, mainly about... Uh, just looks and about uh, a lot of superficial, you know, stuff. Marketing. Uh, yes. Marketing, uh, this and that. I mean, we live in, in Los Angeles where it's like the epicenter of so much of this. Like people go through some intense kind of body transformations because you've told all the time that you're not good enough, that you're not pretty enough, that your chin is too big, that your wrinkles are ugly, that you need to break your breast, you need a you know smaller waist. Uh, it's all about sort of like in, uh, about vanity, and people go through this lens of like transforming themselves in in a very dangerous way, uh, way for yeah. health. You naturally were in that world. You lived that sort of like fairy dream. What would you say to to the people who are kind of like moving in that direction and blindly trying to like modify themselves externally to yeah. be accepted, to be liked? I say, don't buy into it. 
don't buy into it. I mean, we all have a choice. I mean, even even thinking back to when I saw that famous model's uh, comp card, his, his modeling card, it's not like I wanted to be like this guy or anything. I said, wow, that's cool, you know? I'd like to do some of that stuff. But I didn't think that I needed to change myself in any way to be like that. And he even had an amazing body, and but I would work out occasionally, but I didn't, you know, set out to have the kind of body like this guy or anything. No, I was gonna do it in my own way. And um, luckily, I mean, the women are told or are criticized a lot more. The, the the female models during that time, you know, you need to gain five pounds. You need to lose uh, two pounds. You know, your 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 stomach. Certain things. I was only told one time. Said, hey, you know, the, the skin under your chin is getting a little loose. You should chew more gum or something. Just from one person. That was <laughs> oh, it. Uh, that was it. But uh, I just kind of I said, oh, really? Made me a little think about it a little bit and. But I didn't, it's not like I was chewing gum every day for the next two weeks or anything. Um, I just thought it was funny, but I didn't, I didn't change myself for anybody else. And I mean, I even remember sometimes being in the country in Italy because my grandfather has a country house there and um, I would go and visit him in the summer vacations. And even sometimes two days before leaving and going back to a job, I'd be working in the, in the, in the country and in the brush with a machete and and not being mindful and you know I got hit in the face with bushes that had thorns and so I arrived to this job with like little scar little scabs on my head and stuff <laughs> you know I didn't care uh, I really it's gonna, it was going to be me as me I'm not trying to be anybody else and because it's not fun to try to fit into something else. You can you can aspire to something. If it's a positive, oh, I like that. And, you know, maybe that will make me feel better if I get in better shape or if I'm more active or something. That's positive. But if you're doing things just to, to be like other people, I think that's dangerous. And do you feel that experiences like the one you just uh, were telling us about being with your uh, grandfather in Italy, w working on the fields and so on, that gave you that sort of uh, mindfulness, that sense of understanding those roots, that centeredness? Definitely a little bit. Defin definitely from my connection to nature. Yeah, he had a farm. that we did He didn't produce anything for anybody outside of the farm, but he had pigs and chickens and and wild horses and um, you know, I would just go and collect the eggs in the morning. It was so, f so much fun to see how many eggs the, the chickens had laid. And, um, and you know, I'm a vegetarian now, I have been for 20 years, but when, you know, when they wanted to have chicken or, you know, or some pork, uh, they would eat there. But at least it wasn't, wasn't any animals that were in a factory farm or something like that. They had good, lives with socializing with the other animals and stuff so so who is the most influential uh person in your family for you in your life your grandfather i'd say my mother yeah my mother your mother yeah and she always kind of like taught you about these values and about uh being uh, mindful and mindful i don't recall but 
but values, yes, a little bit. I mean, I, 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 devo- I developed them myself through the years, but she definitely taught me to be a gentleman and to be honest. Those are the two main things that I remember from my mom. You know, if, if the cashier gave her a dollar too much or 40 cents too much at the grocery store, she would always say, look, you, you gave me too much and, and gave it back, you know. And I, I mean, I remember one of my jobs, um, I was in South Africa in Cape Town and I came across uh, Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom book and that, wow. I mean, I guess it doesn't really fit into this, but I opened my eyes a lot. But actually, it leads me to another book because I read uh, Gandhi's uh, autobiography. And I know that in the foreword, it said that he didn't want to write an autobiography because he he felt like that was the problem with the modern world, that people always want to tell others how they are. but But then people convinced him and said, look, your lessons are so amazing. The way you live is so amazing. We just want to get it down so that other people can learn from it. And he he didn't want to to say, "Hey, look at me. Look, this is this is how I do things." But I learned a lot of things from his book. And you know, treat others, uh-huh. do unto others as you want done to yourself. I mean, that's that's the biggest. Well, you just thing. you just talked about two main figures. Uh, I recently heard the story of Nelson Mandela, where um, when he was um, he was released from prison, and it was the inauguration uh, for him as a president. He invited two other guards that uh, were with him throughout like twenty seven years or so that he was in jail, and somebody asked him like why you want to invite these people who kept you in jail you know it was completely unfair and justice and you can invite them to come to to your inauguration are you crazy and he said if i don't invite them to my inauguration i was still in jail yeah Is i'll be in prison for the rest yeah, of my life it's kind of like that sense of right yeah forgiveness and just moving on let go yeah that's Quite amazing. <laughs> so taking it back to, um, so there were, uh, you were in this, like in the heat of this modeling career for about eight years or so? No, no, I, I only did it for four and a half. Four and a half. That's it, yeah. And you say you quit. Yeah. And the reason, the main reason why you decided to quit? Uh, I, I, I started to become, the, the more known I was, I became more self-conscious. And also, I remember a little thing that between some of the other models, and there was sort of a little click that was developing with this other agency. And and at some of the fashion shows, I think these two, three guys kind of went out of their way to kind of made me feel a little, make me feel a little smaller and kind of put me down. Or And it just, it kind of got to me and made me a little nervous and and upset and just become a little more self-conscious and so there was those between between yeah no model, there was that kind between of like a couple of these guys and stuff yeah, and uh, between a couple of these guys so i unfortunately let that stuff kind of get to me at that moment um but uh yeah because you know they weren't happy some of these guys were well, really established guys in the business, and here I come along, and I'm taking 
lots of jobs and uh, and I didn't really hang with a clique or a crew or anything. I was friendly with everybody. There was a model on the way there that was smoking something and I took a hit and, and didn't really know what was in it or if you know if it was marijuana or hash, I didn't ask or if it had was laced with something else. Kind of gave me some some psych- psychedelic uh, feelings and, and kind of made me a little paranoid when I was doing that fashion show. So it really, wow. I felt like that was the beginning of the end. I just, I wanted to get out. I wanted out. So to the to this so, point, like you were always clean because that's, that's some also some stupid taboo, right? The yeah. Lot of that fashion, it's like a lot of drug, sex, sex and rock and roll. So for you, you were always like clean. You were not at all like... Uh, yeah, I didn't get into the drugs. Uh, notice I didn't say the other two things. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but um, yeah, I didn't get into that stuff. I mean, it, there was the heroin chic um, kind of look that was going on for a while. And, there, you know, there were some... I think some of the females actually took the hair were doing the heroin because it you know once they tried they probably got addicted and I know some of them went to some rehab and um I won't name any names but it kind of made them thinner too and you know of course cocaine uh has a tendency to make you thinner as well and you know just so So overall, that, you were super blessed that you never, never yeah. took that, that road. I think that's because I went to university first before I got into the business, which only about 2% of the models ever end up doing before they get in. And that kind of gave me a, my equilibrium before I got in and kind of experimented with some of those things in university and kind of I left them there, you know, and didn't take them on into my adult life. And also, you were studying business that gave you as well, I'm sure, like a, a lot of tools to manage your income and yeah. be smart about your investments and not waste your money and so on. Yeah, I was pretty pretty good with that. Except the only, the, the, the hardest thing to keep track of was having so many agencies around the world and just keeping track of which agency owed you what. So that's, in my journal, I would also keep a page, a couple of pages that had the dates of what I did, how much I was getting paid for it, which agency I booked it through, and yeah, helped me to keep a ledger. So you 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 decide to move on from that world and moved back to New York. What what will you say to yourself? Like if you can go back, what will you say to yourself at that time with the experience that you have right now in life? Stay strong. Don't let anything on the outside affect you on the inside. And, or, you know, at least um, make you feel uh, self-conscious. I would just say, that, you know, stick around for a little while longer because you're at the top, you're making great money, and uh, I should have continued maybe a little longer. Do you feel some regrets? I do. I do a little bit. Currently, yeah. you feel regret? I do. Yeah, I always do. I always wish that I had continued for a little while longer. So how do, I how, think had I continued longer, I might not be here today. It was that bad for me that I needed. That's what saved my life to get out at that moment. 
might feel a little regret, but it was the right thing for me to do at the time. So you have come to the realization now that uh, at some point in your life you had regrets, but now you come to the realization that probably saved my life. Yeah, yeah. So in a way you feel more like at ease nowadays with the fact that it served your purpose and you move on. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. But I mean, it was as sad and as depressed as, as often as I was sad and depressed during those four and a half years. I definitely feel a bit nostalgic about it. There were some incredible things, and it was. What do you mean you were you were sad and depressed throughout all those oh, years? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I look at my journal entries, and I felt like I was fooling people. I felt like I was living a lie. Sometimes I felt like I was this dirty person or something because traveling to all those places, there were a lot of women in different places, and that kind of you know. And so I never had any steady relationship. So you close that chapter. Yeah. And then you return back to New York. Yeah, back to New York. And I wanted to get into acting anyway, because there were many times where I was on fashion shoots and they're like, okay, great. You know, we got the shot and I'm playing. I felt like I was playing with the clothes and I wanted to, I didn't want to stop. I wanted to go further, you know. So I was having fun. And, and also I got the biggest compliment in the world from, Richard Avedon, the god of photography and fashion. And um, he just said, you know, Andrea, you're, you're not a model, you're an actor. I was like, wow. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I don't think he was demeaning models in any way, but he just, he saw something else. And, uh, I, you know, in New York, I kind of crossed over into acting a little bit and unfortunately didn't stay in the business for very long, you know, a couple of self-confidence issues, but also something really big that happened in my life, a, a family misfortune in a way, and uh, really, really had to to pay attention, had to fight this thing in the family for 11 years, and it had to do with Italy, and fortunately really lost my way. Anyway, and then, you know, that, but that led to, because of that, threw me right into becoming an activist. And that's when you moved to Los Angeles? Not right away. I lived in New York for six years before I came to LA. But I remember that the first protest I ever went to in my life was against the World Economic Forum in New York when they were holding it in New York. And it was during the time of the, the fall of Enron, Too Big to Fail, and Arthur Anderson's accounting scandal. and made the stock markets go down and a lot of people lost a lot of money. But um, what led me to that was the, I think it was the G8 or, or maybe the World Economic Forum or something that was being held in Genoa in Italy. And uh, one of the protesters was killed by the police and I heard that the, the protesters weren't being unruly at all. They didn't, they didn't incite any violence. It was actually the police incited the violence that threw something at the protesters and got them all fueled up and fired up and then that's when it became violent so it so, kind of instigated that you know and i read the, the stories of that and it was i really related it to what i was going through in my family from a family member trying to 
to take what was kind of rightfully mine in Italy through inheritance from my grandfather and, and these, these special, especially the special place in the country. Um, so through that, I was thinking, wow, this is happening to these people over here. This happened to me. I know what that feels like. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to fight for the people in the African countries and some of them that I visited on, on my trips and on my, my jobs. And I'm going to stand up for the little guy who has no voice. So within you, there's always been this, this sense uh, to stand up for those who have no voice. Yeah. You have that sort of uh, strong feeling against what is not fair on justice. And that's what had kind of like from the end of those modeling years continue on. That's been your, your sort of like purpose. Yeah. You have a, we call it like a, a vision with something called one love. When that started? Oh, that um, that came about. Yeah, one love unified came. I would have called it just one love, but obviously Bob Marley. I think there was a you know, I think their foundation or they they own, they kind of own that for clothing, so I had to throw the unified in there, which is a little bit I feel like maybe redundant. One love unified. It's already, but it's. I, I made it work with the coloring and something <laughs> anyway. But um, that came about shortly after that time was because the second war, the, the whole shock and the orchestrated shock and awe during the Bush administration of um, in Iraq against Saddam Hussein after the terrorist attacks of, of 2000, actually it was 2001. I just saw the beautiful peace marches all over the world when they were talking about when the U.S. especially and some of the the U.N. member nations were talking about or I eventually voted for the resolution to go to war with Iraq. All the people, the countries, I mean, the, the, the marches that were organized and, and the, the outpouring of love around the world made me create this peace sign only out of the words of every single country in the world, including two territories that had not been recognized internationally, and that was Palestine and Kashmir uh, for their struggles in their countries and so, or territories, and uh, well, they shouldn't be territories, they should have their own countries. So it was out of that that, that, I, that I think I was awake all night one night and I just grabbed a, a bowl from my kitchen and I just put it down and I traced around the side and I made this peace sign and then tried to uh, uh, erase the, the lines and pencil and I just filled it in with the words. Started, I did that for four or five nights and looking up online the names of all the countries in the world and put them all on that peace sign. And I was working with volunteering with volunteering with a couple of organizations International Answer, Act Now to Stop War and End Racism. I had been going to those marches in, in Washington, D.C. There were two. And then there was a really big one in New York City as well, a few. And um, I was a bus captain. And I remember I printed 200 of these shirts. And it was easy. I just took it to a printer, had them make the screen, um, and then bought the shirt stock. And they just printed them. And I did them on red 
red blanks and, and black blanks and brought them on a bus with the friend and we sold them to people on the way down. And it wasn't to make any money. It was actually to raise money for the organizations that were organizing these protests, these, these marches, these beautiful marches. I hate to call them protests because really they're a show of solidarity and of love and saying, look, you know, we don't want this. One love unified. So with that, the main question I always like to ask to all the guests, how will you define love? Compassion. Compassion, seeing the other person as a pure soul like yourself. And um, this is where I'm not perfect because I mean, no one's perfect. But And maybe this is where I, I get angered when I see that the person is not a compassionate person and that the person chooses to hurt other people and chooses to hurt animals, chooses to be ignorant, but you can't always blame everybody for ignorant because I think ignorance is when you learn the facts, when you learn that something is hurting the environment or hurting another person and you choose to continue to do it, that's the true ignorance. And that's what upsets me a lot. And um, there's a that's where the activism comes in, you know. Ignorance comes from the word uh, Latin to ignore. So yeah. To ignore. Yeah, so it's exactly, yeah. So right now, currently in your life, what are the forces that you really feel like this is what is moving me right now? This is what I, like the brief time that you have on this earth where there is 40, 50, I hope is like at least 100 more. What is the, the main motivational force behind your life when you wake up? Uh, to just be a pure soul and and to to not get down about all the world's problems because there are a lot. And if you turn on the TV and watch any major news, they're bombarding you with it every day. So I've stopped. I can't I can't do that anymore because I read a couple of news sources, but I can't watch the twenty four hour news because it's only designed to get you to watch more. It's easier to be interest, I don't, I, you know, I don't know, they tell you. They tell you that it's, it's easier to be interested in, in bad fortune and in, in terrible things that happen rather than good things, but I don't believe that. That's what they're feeding us. I wanna hear the good stuff, because if you hear the good stuff, maybe then people will spread more of the good, and so, what inspires me is just to practice what I used to preach, have people learn by example, just by seeing what I'm doing. And I, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, perfection is the disease of the good. I feel. You know, some people that want to point fingers, they're always going to say, if you're doing something good in some way, they're going to say, oh, but look, you, you drove here in a car, you did something, you know, and, and even if you're going to clean the beach, uh, you know, clean plastic that washes up on the beach from the waves. Those are people that are, they're trying to find an excuse to continue their ways of, of not seeing and not caring, of, of being blind. So I'm not getting affected by them. I'm just doing what I can and hopefully you affect other people. But I'm also afraid that people are, 
so wrapped up in this uh, world of technology and the phones and not having quiet time for critical thought and trying to, and being with themselves. That's why tying back into this, this time of the self-quarantine and, and things slowing down and shutting down a lot. I feel like some people are, have been forced to kind of see what that's like. Are they going to learn the lesson going forward? I hope so. We all seen now in LA how beautiful this city looks when you can see for miles and miles and see the mountains and see all the colors pop everywhere and and to see that a little more wildlife actually and, and the birds singing and, and not so noisy. I hope that the new normal is not the old normal and that we kind of maybe don't consume as much, don't need as much, connect to each other a little more. If the genie from the bottle will show up and will say, I will grant you three wishes right here, right now, what will be that? To be in a financial situation to help a lot of other people. So number one, abundance, unlimited abundance. But to... To, to circulate goodness and help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the first one, but that's the first one that kind of came to mind. Um, for the world to emit half as much of the CO2 pollution that we put into the environment immediately. And we did it immediately with the shutdowns. But to keep that going forward. So second one will be a healthy planet. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean maybe that's first. That's first. Uh, that's definitely first. Because with that is... is well, I want to tie into that one, compassion, compassion for animals, compassion for every living being. So that will be your third one? I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's part of the second one. But, <laughs> but Okay, you um, get one more extra yeah. one. People to be more thoughtful, kind to others, and see that we're all in this together. We're all the same. And to remember that we all want to be loved. We don't want to be loved. Don't love the dollar. Don't love the, the currency. Love each other. You know, that's the most important. Mm, beautiful. Just over the last hour or so that we've been having this conversation, it's pretty remarkable that someone who's been on the top of an industry like modeling, where it's so much about just mainly about looks and, and how you are perceived by the public and uh, all that sort of like uh, experience that can be so so self-centering and can easily take you into this sort of like power trip. I am above everybody else. It's remarkable to to listen and to witness your humanity, your human side, because out of all the questions we've been talking, I don't think I've heard any answer that is about you, all you want, even when you were granted three wishes. Most people might say, oh, I want a brand new house, I want a this, that. All you want is for the good of everybody, including animals and the planet. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy the planet. I enjoy nature and it's so beautiful. We're, we're so blessed to be here and... Uh, I mean, all of the animal kingdom 
yes, it, it, it operates in a circle of life and, and there's, there's the predators and there's the prey and things in the way that they, that survive some of it, but it's, you can find an incredible compassion in any animal. And the, and I love the interspecies, um, compassion and the love that you see, you know, you, you see on some videos and things on social media, but so after to the, witness that firsthand too is so beautiful. Yeah. After the visit from the gene, eventually when the beautiful angel of transformation, the angel of death comes and tells you, okay, Andrea, it's time to move on to the next, next realm. What will you be missing the most about this life experience? Oh, that's a really tough one. The probably riding a motorcycle on a racetrack. I, I such a thrill, and I think it's it's a it's a real big thrill. And um, I think it's because when I'm out there, it takes my mind off of all the stuff that brings me down. But if you put me in a new utopia and it's just this place of nature and beauty and sun and waves and wind and water, I wouldn't miss it at all. Do you feel that there's an inner child within you? Definitely. You talk to it often? I think I feed it every day. How? In... Uh, Finding joy in the little things, yeah. I mean, I, I I I used to a lot more so than now, but I I used to find joy in the little things. I used to just wake up and the sunshine would be out and I'd be like, oh my god, it's sunny today, it's so beautiful, you know, and just and 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 even if it's raining, oh my god, it's raining outside, and wow, it's great, you know, just finding joy in the little things, like a like a child, seeing seeing. Everything as if you're seeing it for the first time. Well, it's been truly an honor. It's been a blessing that we get this time and uh, just to, to hear the, the experiences, to hear about your, your dreams, to hear about what you're passionate about it, to hear your love and compassion for the planet and all animals and all beings. And uh, this is what the podcast, anyways, is all about. It's about um, sharing the voice of individuals like yourself that when we hold hands, when we connect, we realize that there's a lot of good in the planet, that there's a lot of good things happening, and we're creating a shift. So thank you so much thank for you. being you, for being the amazing human being that, that you are. And I know sometimes... For us, it's tough to see that, but from the perspective of the witness, truly an exceptional human being, always acting from a place of, of kindness and compassion. So thank you for that, and please keep, keep on serving lots and lots of love. Of love, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.